Let us take our Bibles and turn to the book of Job, if you would. Job chapter 1. And today we want to look at suffering as spiritual warfare. We've looked at fear. We want to look at suffering as spiritual warfare today. And in Job chapter 1, there's a fascinating story that begins in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, but that man was blameless and upright. And here's what a wise man always is. He feared God and shunned evil. If you want to know what a good, godly, wise man or woman is, it's a person who fears God and shuns evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. That would be like telling somebody how many shares of stock today a wise and wealthy man had. He had a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters. Wasn't that nice? To eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had come to an end or run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. Sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, it just may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Sooner or later, everybody in this room is going to ask, why does God allow suffering? Theologians call this the problem of theodicy. Theo, God, Theu, and Dike, justice, the problem of God's justice. Is suffering just? And almost all of us have been there. Peter gives us an insight. He says we suffer for the glory of God. Paul gives us an insight. He says, oh, the reason that God sent a thorn on me was that I might have a greater dependence on him and not get too proud. So uh, the reason for suffering in Paul's point of view is the good of God's people. Uh, now, Isaiah has an interesting twist on suffering. He says that uh, following the, the uh, symbol of the Paschal Lamb in Isaiah 53, he says that he who never sinned, Jesus, he who had no sin to pay for, this Paschal Lamb became our, he died for our transgressions and was bruised for our iniquities. So Isaiah gives us the insight that sometimes our suffering is for the good of other people. But Job comes along and gives us a fifth insight that is different from all the others. He says the whole purpose of suffering is for the grandeur and the glory of God. And this is how we see suffering as spiritual warfare. The truth is that the focus of the book of Job is on an attack by Satan, the accuser, on God, not on Job. Job is caught in the middle. And that's what spiritual warfare is all about. God's purpose is not just to test Job here, but to give him an opportunity to honor the God to whom he had made vows and allegiance. When the accuser says, oh no, he won't stay faithful to you in hard times. The only reason he serves you is because everything's going great. 
You make the football team, you make the cheerleader list. Yeah, I'll stand up for Jesus. But you get cut from the team, you, you flunk chemistry. God has deserted me. Oh, no, the book of Job says. No, 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 no. God is giving you an opportunity to prove that your allegiance is to God, whether you're prosperous or not, whether things go right or not. See, that's the essence of spiritual warfare from our perspective. You've got to understand this. Don't miss this. Satan attacks God through Job. And the only way, the only way the accuser can be proven false is through Job. For Job to stay a man of integrity even in the middle of circumstances that are adverse and suffering. That's what the book of Job is about. That's what spiritual warfare is about. God isn't after, I mean, the devil's not just after me. He's after God. What happens to me is not just an attack on me. It's an attack on God. What happens to you is not just an attack on you. It's an attack on God. That's what spiritual warfare is. It is Satan going after God through me, through you, when you lose your job. If he can just make you like Job, lose your integrity, and only be faithful to God when things are going well, then he's won the battle. He's discredited God. That's the point of spiritual warfare. That's what it's all about. He's not attacking you. He's not attacking me directly. He is attacking God. Well, like a good storyteller, there are three characters in this story. The first one is Job. And notice what the scripture says about him. He was a wealthy man in verse 3. I mean, 7,000 sheep. Anybody here ever had 7,000 sheep? Look in verse 3. 3,000 camels. I don't know what I'd do with 3,000 camels. I'd probably take them to Saudi Arabia and sell them. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. Boy, I could go for an hour on that one right there. He had a very large household, and he was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, first, note that Job was a patriarch, a very wealthy man, a very well-known man, a very large household. Certainly, under the thinking of the day, he must be a righteous man because he has a lot. Now, we don't accept that today. I don't accept that. That when you're blessed with a lot, that's a sign that you're righteous. How many of you believe that? That the more you have, the holier you are. I'll tell you what, I've seen money ruin more Christians. I've seen people with much who could not retain their, their, uh, their integrity before God with much, let alone with little. But anyway, he was a patriarch. But secondly, this man was a priest. Notice his relationship to his family. In verses 4 and 5, it explains that his sons and daughters would get together and have feasts. Now, what he's saying is that Job did a good job with his family and they lived harmoniously. But every time they got together for a family feast, Job, as a priest of the family, was very, very careful. And he would go and make sacrifices according to the number of the people who had feasted just in case any of them had sinned, God would overlook their sin. You know, I don't think... Dads, we should ever overlook our role as the priest in the home. Don't ever undercut your role as the priest to take the family to God. You know, I got up this morning and I went for a walk in the rain. I love to walk in the rain, don't you? In fact, if I'd been in a little bit better health, I wouldn't even have had an umbrella, but I did carry an umbrella. I love just to put on old clothes and go out there and let the rain soak me. Isn't that fun? How many of you like to do that? How many think that's stupid? Yeah, yeah, some of you do. But the ones who do are worried about their hair. See, I don't worry about my hair. I'm just glad I got a little bit left. But I went out and walked in the rain, and as I walked in the rain, 
I prayed for every one of my children and every one of my grandchildren by name, one by one. It's a great way to pass the time when you're walking. Don't ever overestimate the value of father as the priest in the home. Well, anyway, Job was a, a priest and a patriarch. But there's another character here, and that is God. Because it says in verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. They gathered for praise and they gathered for instruction. Can you imagine? That's what we're going to be doing in glory. There'll be a great assembly, all the angels before God for praise and instruction for the day. And God sends them out. Now go over here and, and take care of John Sapp. He's going to have a rough day today. I want you to minister to him. I mean, you tail that guy wherever he goes, right? And God sends out instructions. And among them comes the third character, who is, in the Hebrew, the word is accuser. But it is the word for Satan. It's the word for accuser. Remember that the fundamental, the oldest name for the devil in the Bible is the accuser. And he loves to do that to us. Internally, he accuses us. Externally, he accuses us. Any way to discredit us. And he comes... He is allowed into the presence of God and he comes before God and God says, what have you been doing? Where do you come from? What's been going on? And the devil says, well, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. I've been looking for Mark Quartz. I've been looking for Adam Mahaffey. I've, been, I've had my eye on Kathy Dudley. <laughs> and I've been seeing whom I could wean away from giving glory to you. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? I love this. Wouldn't that be great for God to say this about you or me? Look at verse 8. There is none like him on the earth. What sweet sound. Have you considered Chuck Peters? There's nobody like him on all the earth. And by the way, that's true, isn't it? Nobody like him. <laughs> there is none like him. He's an upright man. He fears God and he shuns evil. That's a good word about a man. And Satan says, oh, do you think Job fears you for nothing? See the accusation? Here's the charge. Job serves you, God, only because you made him prosperous. But if I could just take away his good health and take away his wealth and take away his family, Job wouldn't serve you. See, that attack is on God. God you are not a man of character so that men will be loyal to you unless you pay them. He is a prophet for prophet. He is a patriarch for prophet. He is a priest for prophet. That is the charge. Let him have hard times and he will not serve you. So God says, all right, I'll tell you what we'll do. See the charge in verse 10? You've made a hedge around him. Thank God I've had a hedge around me sometimes. Every now and then there's been a little gap in the hedge, amen? <laughs> but aren't you glad for a hedge? You just remember when you pray a hedge around somebody, that's literally biblical. And Satan said, God, you put a hedge right around Job. You put a hedge. You won't let anything into him. Oh, yeah, I'll show you, God says. He will serve me even if the hedge is down. So God says in verse 11, okay, stretch out your hand. Behold, all that he has in verse 12 is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. There is always a limit to what God will permit Satan to do. He is always under limitation. But he does have some power in this age. He can gig you. He can gig me. He can tear down a hedge for a while. But the spiritual warfare 
the attack is on God, not Job. Job's caught in the middle. It's like a coach for West who says, you see that guy who plays for Carver? I don't like that tight end. I want you to go for him. Give him a good cheap shot. Clip his legs out from under him. See if you can hurt him and get him out of the game. Now, I know no coach, no high school coach would ever do that. Amen? However, that's what the devil says about Job. Go get him, demons, and cut the hedge out from under him, and let's see if he serves God when his 7,000 sheep are gone, and his 5,000 donkeys, and his 500, or 5,000 camels, or whatever, and his 500 female donkeys. So the Lord said, all that he has is in your power, but don't lay a hand. Now, I want to stop for a minute, and I want to give you a simple little outline. There are five reasons for suffering that I have studied through my lifetime. On Wednesday night of this week, the Lord willing, I'm going to do a Bible study taking you through these, uh, on our midweek service, taking, these, uh, taking you through these, these five. Now, here they are. The first is, sometimes we suffer because of the distribution of inherited weaknesses. The distribution of inherited weaknesses. Since sin came into the human race, there's a certain amount of suffering that comes as a result of the buildup of inherited weaknesses. And I'll give you scriptures on each of these, but I don't have time now. The second reason is the disobedience of spiritual laws. Sometimes we suffer as a corrective. The third reason is the disregard of natural laws. Sometimes we suffer because we disregard fat grams. <laughs> or we disregard natural laws. Mickey Mantle, cirrhosis, bad liver, drinking. He admitted himself. The fourth reason is the disruption of nature for all. All nature has been disrupted. So that the natural mechanism which would remove suffering or heal our bodies has been disrupted. But here's the fifth reason for suffering. The display of satanic attack. And that's what Job is all about. Suffering comes to him as a display of Satan's attack against Almighty God. Now, let us look then at three acts of this play that works out in the book of Job. Act 1 begins in verse 13. All of Job's family had come together, do you follow the text? Eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. The oldest brother's house. And a messenger came and noticed the four things that happened to Job in Act 1. He said in verse 15... The Sabaeans raided the oxen plowing and the donkeys feeding and took them away and they have killed all your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Secondly, verse 16, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. You've lost all your servants and all your sheep. Thirdly, verse 17, the Chaldeans formed three bands. And they raided the camels, took them away, killed the servants over there with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Fourth, your, brother, your, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners. It fell. They're all dead. You've got no children left. To a patriarch in the east, this meant he was cut off from the future. His children were dead. This is Act 1. Satan uses man and natural elements to rob Job of everything he had to see if he would retain his faith and his integrity with God. Now, he's attacking God. But he's going through Job. 
God often uses secondary means in our lives. And so he uses the wind and allows Satan to bring these things, not just to test Job, but to give Job an opportunity to win the spiritual battle and prove that God is worthy of our greatest trust and greatest faith even when everything is taken away from us. It's the only way you can prove God. The purpose is not just to prove man, it's to prove God. That's what spiritual warfare is about. Do you understand that? So in this act one, Job demonstrates acquiescence to the will of God. When he hears it, verse 20, he tears his robe, shaves his head, falls to the ground and worships. I would like to think we've had a real spiritual summer among our youth because there's been a lot of shaving of the head. I don't know whether it's been accompanied by the tearing of the robes. That remains to be seen. But in any event, notice what Job says in verse 21. It's a great testimony to his integrity. He says, naked came I from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And instead of cursing God, the way the accuser said, he doesn't curse God. What does he do, class? He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Round one, God wins. Job wins. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that in your worst time? What's the worst time you've ever faced in your life? What's the hardest adversity you've ever come up against? Can you rise up in the middle of it understanding this is warfare and you're caught in the middle between Satan and God and say, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked am I going back to the earth, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, he's taken away, it's okay. That's acquiescence to the supreme, grand, sovereign will of God. Job did not lose his faith in God. Somebody said they asked Imelda Marcos in the middle of all that when the Philippine government was investigating her and her husband was sick and they found those 3,000 pairs of shoes in her closet in New York. You remember that? 3,000 pairs of shoes. How in the world would you decide which to wear? Said, uh, Imelda, how do you get along in the middle of such suffering? She said, I turn my blues into shoes. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Act 2 begins in chapter 2 and verse 1. Now the second act comes across. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan again came among the presence of the angels. And the Lord said, what have you been doing, Satan? How has it been going, accuser? He said, I'm going to and fro on the earth. <laughs> you got to remember that, that Satan spends his time walking to and fro on the earth looking for somebody who's a soldier in God's army who's he's, whom he's attacking that he can attack. And he said, uh, have you considered my servant Job in verse 3, chapter 2? There's none like him, a blameless upright man, fears God, shuns evil, still holds fast to his integrity. I made a vow, I'll keep it in even when everything is taken away. He holds fast to his integrity. And Satan answered the Lord and said, yeah, skin for skin. It was a common phrase in that day, which meant he gives you, he gives you honor, Lord, because you give him honor. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But if a man is forced to choose between serving God and losing his life, a man will give up his life. God said, oh, yeah? Stretch out your hand, touch his bone and his flesh. Make him sick. He will surely curse you to your face. 
And the Lord said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll let you attack him this time, but spare his life. And Satan, in verse 7, went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I can hardly even imagine that. If I get a boil on the end of my nose, it bothers me. Only one. Imagine if you were covered from the soles of your foot to the top of your head. You couldn't walk. Your wife couldn't hug you. You wouldn't even want to kiss her with all those boils. She probably wouldn't want to kiss you. I mean, this is a tough time. Act two, you can go to his person, but don't take his life. Skin for skin. Now, Job's wife thought this is an incurable disease. And she says, why don't you just go ahead in verse 9, curse God and die. Job didn't take that as a, a negative. He did say, why are you speaking like a foolish woman? Not an ignorant woman, but a woman who is foolish enough to deny God. Keep trusting God, he said. Shall we indeed, I love Job's reasoning, shall we indeed accept good and not adversity? How dare you accept everything God's done to you up to this point in your life? And now when you get a little adversity, you want to back out on God. You want to trade in your vow. You want to give up your commitment. How dare you, he is saying. Boy, what a truth that is for us. How dare we after God's goodness? Now, do you understand why the psalmist keeps talking about the goodness of God and his works among the children of men? He's been so good. Shall we not accept evil when we have accepted all this good? You took everything blessing that God gave you. Why won't you take a little adversity? And so Job becomes stronger. Job retains, Job retains his integrity. Job does not retain his faith just to keep his prosperity. Satan's cause is to discredit God and God is working in, jo in Job's life to bring about glory for himself by letting Job retain his integrity, the integrity of his vow and his commitment to the Lord. Act 3 begins in the next chapter when Bildad and, and uh, Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad was a really short little guy. It's, his name is Bildad the Shuhite. Zophar the Namathite. And for the next 36 chapters, they argue with Job. Job was doing fine until his friends got on the scene. <laughs> Job was doing great till his comforters came. Job was doing great till some three men came along to personally minister to him. And by chapter 38, they had poor old Job so confused, he didn't know what was up and what was down. And then finally, Elihu comes along, and he wants to argue, well, Job's not such a bad man. I mean, uh, uh, Bildad, the Shuhite, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Zophar, the Namathite, they've been telling him, come on, Job, there's secret sin in your life. If you would just confess it, if you would just confess it, you would be healed. You know, we've got modern-day people just exactly like that. The only reason you're sick is because there's sin. Boy, if you just get rid of that sin, you confess that sin, you'll drive a Mercedes-Benz. You'll never again have to go to a doctor. We'll put Dr. Marks out of business. Just get rid of your secret sin. And for 36 chapters, they heap that philosophy on poor old Job. But boy, I love this 38th chapter. Turn to chapter 38. God is silent. And Job says, where are you, God? Come on, answer. I want an answer. By this time, Job wants an answer like you and I want answers. 
And God says in chapter 38, verse 2, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? How dare you challenge me, Job? Now prepare yourself like a man, verse 3. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And for four chapters, he blisters Job. Doesn't give him a lot of answers. Doesn't explain suffering. Really, he doesn't. He doesn't give an answer to Job's immediate problem. He just focuses on who God is because that's what spiritual warfare is all about. It's an attack upon the character of God. You are not worthy of the vow. You are not worthy of the, of the commitment that Job has made. And if you pull your hand of prosperity back, Job will curse you. That's what Satan said. And so you notice in Act 3, by the time we come to chapter 42, Job is humble before God. And in verse 1, he answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore he confesses, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. In the midst of my pain, losing my children. In the midst of my loss, losing my wealth. In the midst of the confusion of my three, four friends. I have uttered things too wonderful for me which I did not understand. And God, I have to confess, while I retain my faith and integrity, there was something going on in my life that I almost lost by the counsel of my friends. Notice, Job never prayed for healing throughout all of his boils. Some people will tell you God always wants to heal. I love what, where are you, Flossie? Is your mother here this morning? Where is she? She came up to me after prayer meeting one day. and She said, you know, God always heals. Sometimes it's through death. And she's exactly right. You remember that? God always heals. Sometimes it's not until death. But having a new body is a great way to be healed, isn't it? She's right. But Job never prayed for healing. He never asked God, if I'm a good man, you owe me something. Don't let me be sick. What, what would happen if God removed all sickness? Would he ever get any glory from our lives? Job comes to accept God on God's terms. Job is concerned not about his restoration, but the vindication of his character. What bothered Job more than I want freedom from these boils was I want to retain my character. I want to retain my integrity. I want to retain my faith. That was more important than healing. There are some things more important than being freed from pain and being freed from frustration and being freed from hurt and being freed from a difficult situation. And I'll tell you what's more important. That is the glory and the grandeur and the holiness and the sovereignty of a very, very good providential God. And so the battle is raged and Job comes out. God never condemned Job's character. You can search. I read chapter 38 through chapter 42 three or four times. I could not find one word of accusation by God against Job. It was just, why are you questioning me? And God never gave him a direct answer except to say, I'm going to restore you. And in chapter 42, in this neat, the Lord restored, restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. God forgive uh, Bildad the Shuhite and Eliphaz the, Eliphaz the Temanite and Zophar the Namathite. God forgive them 
for their wrong doctrine that sin always causes suffering and suffering is always a direct result of personal sin. And indeed, verse 10 says, the Lord gave Job how much? Twice. Twice. Twice as much as he had before. And his brothers and sisters and all those who have been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. They consoled him and comforted him for the, all of the adversity of the Lord. Each one gave him a piece of silver. Each gave him a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Amen. <laughs> I've been through enough. I'm looking for the Lord's blessing in the latter days. However, whenever, whatever he does. I don't care what you're in. It may be a bad divorce. It may be a terrible relationship. It may be a cancer in your mom or dad. It may be a problem in your job. I don't care what it is. God is allowing you to go through it because Satan is attacking God. And the question is, will I retain my character in the midst of adversity and pain and suffering and hurt? Can I stand true for God and give glory to him? And thus God wins the battle. That's the issue in spiritual warfare. So it is incumbent upon me to cooperate with God in the midst of the hurt and to cooperate with God in the midst of the pain and retain the integrity of a vow I made to God when I was a young boy and said, I will follow Jesus Christ no matter what comes. Well, it's helpful to know some things. There are eight things. I'm going to go through them quickly. It's helpful for me to know I'm not suffering from my sin. If Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And the price of sin has been paid at the cross. And when he said it is finished, he meant the payment for sin is done. Amen? I don't ever want you to forget that. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the reason you're suffering it's not a lack of faith. It's not personal sin. It may be spiritual warfare and Satan is attacking you and indirectly and he's attacking God directly. Secondly, it's helpful for me to know that I'm significant enough in God's place that I can be the one to bring glory to God. That just makes me feel good that God counts on me to give him a little glory. Amen? That makes me important. No matter who you are, no matter what position you occupy, you're important enough to God that you're involved in the battle. And through you, God gets glory. And that's significant. Thirdly, it is helpful for me to know that God is not picking on me all by myself. I'm glad to know I've got company. I'm glad to know Job is in the company of the hurting. I'm glad to know that some of you are in the, the company of the hurting. And God's not just picking on me. I'm not fighting this battle alone. Amen? And whatever battle you're going through, you're not by yourself. Fourth, Job is praised for his endurance. Remember what James said? Remember Job who endured. What, what brought glory to God was not his great faith alone. It was his endurance through the suffering and he retained his integrity. Fifth, I I must cooperate with God in the spiritual battle for the battle to be won. And rather than resisting the suffering, when I see it as spiritual warfare between Satan and God, I don't have to fight it anymore. I don't have to run from it. I don't have to be bitter against God. The key to overcoming bitterness and pain is understanding that you're cooperating with God in a spiritual battle between him and Satan. Six, though sinful and weak, 
we can retain our character and integrity in trials. And that's a great encouragement to me. No matter what you're experiencing, you can retain your character, your godly character and integrity. The seventh thing that's helpful for me to know here is that uh, God is the creator and sustainer. And though he is the creator, he doesn't desert Job. In the end, he comes back and communicates with him as a friend and not an enemy. And I like that. Job was never forsaken. God comes back and communicates with him. The eighth thing that's helpful for me to know is that there are no easy answers to suffering, only insights. There is no step one, two, three. This is it. Here's the answer to theodicy. It is insights that God gives us. And the insight here in the book of Job is that Satan attacks God through a man and through the suffering. Now I want to close by reminding you of an experience that is the closest thing to this I've ever experienced in my life. And I, I can't even help but tell you this story again. I've given you bits and pieces of it. I'm going to give you more of it today and apply it, and then we're going to close. But in 1991, on that first Sunday in April, when I preached on a Sunday night, and a lady in the back danced a little circle and prayed for the devil to destroy me, which I did not know until the next November, five days later, I had a heart attack in St. Louis. I couldn't understand it. Still don't understand it. But Job is helping me to understand. And um, I didn't know about it until that fall. And when I found out what she had done, I told that story on television. And I received this letter. Here is the actual letter right here. It's dated November 19th, 1991. It's from a pastor of a church on the other side of Greensboro. I'll save his name. A good young man. I didn't know him well. He knew of me. And he wrote this letter to me. Dear Dr. Quartz, I'm writing you this letter to relate an incident I have forgotten until just yesterday, November 14th. On Thursday, well, I received it the 19th. On Thursday, yesterday, I was in the rotunda area of the administrative building of Southeastern Seminary where I am working on my doctor of ministry. There I began talking to a fellow student whose name I do not know. But in the course of our conversation, your name surfaced. He said he had recently spoken to you and had heard a most sobering story. This student continued on to convey to me your experience with a lady who attempted to curse you to death under the power of Satan. He told me of her dancing and chanting and so forth. This story did not surprise me that much as I am aware of the objective reality of Satan and his legions who do his work here on earth. The story did, however, confirm an encounter I had late one night. My wife, two boys, and myself were all asleep this night when suddenly I was awakened with a most evil presence. I quickly got out of my bed and went to my knees, interceding for my children. I was convinced the enemy was attempting to harm my precious family. As I prayed, your name came to mind very distinctly. I know you only by name and face through other Christian friends. I'm better acquainted with... Guy Hip through youth ministry contacts. This was about the third day after your heart attack became public knowledge, which was Monday night. Our church, this happened on Friday. He, our church had been praying for you and your family. I have been as well. However, you had not been one I had prayed for regularly as I have others like Charles Page or Don Brock. Yet on the night, your name and your struggle for life was very vivid to me. I prayed for some time and at certain points, the praying became sheer battle. 
My wife was awakened. I like this part. My wife was awakened and we prayed together. Then she went back to sleep. <laughs> but I could not. Finally, after some time, I received a peace about your situation. So that I could again sleep the next day. I told my wife that you would be okay. However, that very night we received word that you had taken a serious turn for the worse. I did not know if I had misunderstood the Lord or not. But this I did and do know. Your struggle was far from being only physical. I am convinced now that our Lord allowed me the privilege of entering the battle on your behalf during a crucial time. I believe he gathered his people to pray down the attempts of the enemy to bring death to a brother. As Frank Peretti puts, uh, puts it in his two well-known novels, prayer cover is a powerful force in doing battle with Satan. That night makes much more sense to me now. I pray this does not sound off the wall to you. That night was a very strange time to me. With what I now know, things do not seem quite so strange anymore. I praise our Lord for the weapon of prayer. May God's hand continue to abide on you and your family as you boldly proclaim Jesus Christ in the days ahead. When I read that letter, chills went down my back. I confirmed that it was Monday night. It was Monday night that they lost me in that hospital. Monday night, the doctor determined to get me out of that little Catholic hospital in suburban St. Louis and get me to Jewish hospital. They couldn't get the helicopter. They drove me by ambulance, 25 miles an hour. He said, don't even, put a, don't even cross a pothole. He won't make it. And when I checked the times, it was 10 o'clock St. Louis time. When I checked with Chris, this happened at 11 o'clock. Exactly that time. And it was about 5 o'clock when he ceased praying and God lifted the burden, which was 4 o'clock in St. Louis. And it was at 4 o'clock that I arrived. He didn't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about this. And it was about 4 o'clock when I arrived at Jewish Hospital where I could have better care and they were able to protect Spiritual warfare can be suffering. Isn't God good? You have no idea when you're going through circumstances and trials. But Satan is attacking God through you. You have no idea when it seems like the whole world is caving in. Satan is attacking God through you. It's not just you. It's the character and holiness and sovereignty and goodness of God that is at stake. And the issue is not, will Job be relieved of pain? That's never the issue. Will he retain his integrity and character before God even when everything is taken away? I call you today to an allegiance to Jesus Christ that is stronger than things. I call you to a lordship of Christ that is greater than suffering. I call you to follow a master of whom Job is a perfect Old Testament type in some ways. I call you to follow Jesus Christ who alone is worthy of everything you have and are. I cannot tell you everything will go well for you. You'll never have suffering or adversity. But I can tell you God will never desert you. And I can tell you that if you'll pass through and endure, he'll give you the strength to come through it and in the end prove the character of God as well as the character of you. And you will never be alone.
I can promise you that. You'll never be by yourself in the midst of it. And that's why I call you to Jesus Christ and he pleads with you. Some of you have made vows to God a long time ago, but because a wife left you, a husband left you, hard times came, financial difficulties came. I can count members of this church who are inactive, who were great guns for God where they were making $100,000 a year, but it's been taken away and I can't find them. I haven't seen them in months or years. The issue is, will you serve God through thick and thin and follow him? And in the end, he will set you up upon a rock. Amen and amen. Let's stand in prayer. Father, speak to every one of us today. Some of us need to renew our vows and you call us to renewal of that. Some of us have never confessed Jesus Christ. Some of us have backslidden. We need to come back to him and say, no matter what happens, I will follow Christ. some, Some people in this building have been burned in service. They were in a church where they were vilified and they were attacked because of their service. And they've been sensitive to serving. Lord, help them to come back and follow Jesus Christ and leave the results to you. Help us to hear your voice and to obey it in Jesus' name. Amen.